Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus. Zen is your go-to for stress, relief and balance. And Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola, in their flow blend. Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code SATINRETURNS. Enjoy. Well, Venus is also a very romantic planet. It's just that I think the difference between Neptune and Venus is that with Venus, the idea of love is very clear. You just know what you want in love. You know what you expect. And you can be really giving. You can be really abundant and feminine in the way that you express love and you give love. Astrology and love. Many of you have got to know Nora, our resident astrologer for Saturn Returns, over the last season. And I'm very excited that she is going to be joining me on this special episode. We discuss how certain placements affect our romantic relationships, particularly looking at Neptunian fogs and how Neptune plays a huge influence on the way we see romance. We also discuss sexuality and how to reclaim those aspects of ourselves and go into the potent power of the goddess Kali. 
goddess Kali is a goddess of destruction and rebirth. And she's someone that's been on my mind recently for whatever reason. So it was very fascinating to hear Nora's insight and explain a bit about the goddess Kali and how we can start to embody this energy in a day-to-day life. Nora, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. I feel like we've been on quite a ride the last couple of months, haven't we? We have. It's been amazing, though. I've enjoyed it. Both in your overview of the astrological transits that we've navigated through each episode and in my own personal life. (laughs) Which is pretty much how we we met as well. That is true. Shall we talk about how we met, actually, for a minute? We just started speaking over Instagram, didn't we? I got in a relationship and as I and as I was getting into the relationship and I thought I was so in love and it was and I was. I was at the time. Yeah. Well, we were talking about um that Neptune transit that was going on and I remember telling you this is a really good time to increase the spirituality, to connect with um your inner self, to do journaling, to express your arts. It's going to be a really good time in that, but you'll also have rose-tinted glasses on in relationships and you might not see the person truly for who they are. And I didn't listen. (laughs) (laughs) And you were like, oh, I just met somebody. And I thought, oh, well, maybe he's a soulmate. I don't know. (laughs) I know. We really went into it, didn't we? And I I was like, it's the one, la, la, la. And then when it all did come crashing down, which was very much to do with my Saturn return as well, that was all very connected and it was literally like suddenly the the reality was shown. And you messaged me, I think I'd put up some poetry or something miserable. <laughs> and you said, oh my dear, was it a Neptunian fog? That's what you said. And I said, I don't know what that means, but I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what people feel like after like a Neptune relationship they'll feel exactly like that they don't know where the the wound is coming from they don't know where they're bleeding from but it's definitely hurting a lot and it's not clear so just to go into that for the listener could you explain like what a neptunian fog or like romance might look like and how they'd know if they were experiencing that okay so when you're going through neptune transit the planet neptune will be aspecting either your venus or your moon sign or it will be in your seventh house. So now in the past few years, this will have been especially applicable if you are a Pisces moon or Venus, or you have Pisces in your descendant, or if you're a Virgo, a Sagittarius, or a Gemini. So if you're in these signs, Neptune will have made a strong aspect on your love planets or your love language and the way that you see things in love. And the way that it feels is that you're very romantic at this time. Even if you're generally quite skeptical or quite grounded, this time you're feeling more floaty and you're attracting interesting people into your life. Some of them do end up being soulmates, but it's just that in the beginning, it feels like you're not only falling head over heels in love, but you're feeling like you're really in the clouds and it's feeling amazing and it's feeling like no love ever has felt before. And so you go on and tell every, everybody, yes, I've met one and this is it. And he's, I think I might even have dreamt about him before I met him. And it's this huge thing where you have this instant connection. 
but you have to be careful when this happens because the only way to really tell is obviously what her mom always tells us is you have to give it time and you have to, you have to go through a few stress tests. A stress test would be Saturn, right? It would be like <laughs> a dose of reality. It would be a, it would be somebody goes to um, goes to travel, or somebody suddenly talks about who they want to be or which direction they want to go in in the future, or they suddenly come up and say, "Look, I don't want to have kids. This is not something that I want to do." And so this person that seemed ideal and you were connected from day one and seemed to be wanting the same things, now suddenly is actually not who you thought they were because you assumed all of that. That was all fantasy. You projected your own fantasy onto them and they did the same onto you. So you're kind of both feeding into that fantasy and you're in that world and it's perfect. And then the bubble bursts because Saturn comes in or some kind of (laughs) event happens or you actually see them for who they truly are. And that might be that they were quite just deceptive in nature. So when that stress test comes in where they show who they truly are by just saying who they are and you realize that that's not who you want or they just show who they are with actions which often translates into cheating or it turns out that they'd had addictions and they don't want to do anything about it and you didn't see that either so i basically experienced everything you just said (laughs) but the thing is as much as like for all the advice you could give on it I know that anyone listening that's going through it, it doesn't matter because when you're in that space, you're in that space and nothing can pull you out of it until that reality or that Saturn or whatever comes and forces you out and forces you to see. But you're going to have to go through it, I think. Exactly. And it's, it's this love bite that's it, you've been bitten. Like I had an astrologist even tell me once, if you have a Neptune transit or just a Neptune aspect in your synastry with somebody, so just to tell the listener, a synastry aspect is when you put two natal charts together and you look at how they interact with each other. You look at the dynamics. And obviously we all have Neptune in our natal charts. And so if Neptune is aspecting our love planets or our love houses in our natal charts, then that's a Neptune aspect. Which will be sort of deceiving. Yeah, it can be deceiving. It just also sometimes a person is just who they are and they've been telling you since day one and you don't want to see it. Oh you know, God, that yeah. happens too, where you're just projecting your fantasy onto this person and you say, Well, that's not that bad. Oh no, that's I don't I don't mind it at all. And you go into the self-delusion and this person sometimes even feels like they've they're put on this pedestal and they feel like it's only going to fail. So they just keep on projecting that fantasy onto you and fitting it into uh, the narrative, but eventually they'll self-sabotage. Yeah, because they can't keep it up. Not a fun one to experience, but a necessary one. A necessary one. And like I said, I had this astrologist that told me, if you see that in a chart, don't even go and meet a person. Really? Don't even go on a date. Yeah, he told me that because I had that with somebody and I thought, no way. You said to me the other day with my situation you know when you're you're bleeding and you don't know where it's from yeah I really can relate to that I think anyone can relate to that that thing of when you get involved with something that essentially you know is probably bad for you but you just you feel like it's perhaps going to be a different the second time around (laughs) well if it feels addictive on any level then it's probably an Neptune an Neptune aspect that's a good way to recognize it too. Okay, so let's just break down that part because 
historically and through film and media, we are, we romanticize that sort of addictive love. I know that I did. And I think a lot of my relationships, most of my relationships were based off that sort of initial intensity that I confused for intimacy. And it was like, yeah. the you know, the more I felt the faster I felt it, the more I thought that, that meant that that person was my person and that we were in love. And so I was yeah. basing the feelings that I had before really knowing the person as the foundation for the future, which of course, like you say, it's like, well, you really don't know each other. It's just yeah. all chemical and lustful and all those wonderfully delicious things. But yeah. I've had a lot of people say recently... And I'm, it's something that, you know, has my curiosity as to whether those things should be red flags or is there like a middle ground? I think if you feel that in the, in the beginning of the relationship, it is a red flag because you're projecting a fantasy and that's not based in reality or rooted in reality. Now, if you're just so lucky and this person does end up being this fairy tale prince or princess charming, then that's brilliant. But that doesn't happen that often. Because the test during these times is to see those red flags, recognize them, and then bring them to reality, root it into reality, and then give it time and see how it kind of evolves, communicates, be really clear about who you are, what you expect, and make sure that they communicate to you as well and explaining who they are and what they expect in a relationship. And that you're not just both assuming on each end and romanticizing this idea because you it's interesting that you mentioned um the cinema and what we've been but we've been taught our whole lives with fairy tales and movies and things in astrology neptune rules movies really art well venus does on the on the lower level but a higher level of it is neptune that glamour, that idea, that Hollywood idea that we all witnessed our whole lives and also the fairy tales. So it's kind of a personification of this narrative. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it is. Wh what are the sort of placements that someone should look for in terms of a partner then? The ones that aren't red flags or yeah. alarm bells and you shouldn't even go near them. Okay, so... The best way to understand the red flag is just to look within yourself because you're the one projecting the fantasy. So now the question is, who is more prone to project these fantasies into a relationship, right? So if you have these placements, then you're more prone to this type of relationship. And that is, if you have Neptune in your first house or your seventh house, so in your ascendant or your descendant, if you have Neptune making a hard aspect on your Venus sign or your moon sign, then that's a big giveaway. And then also if you're somebody who is either a Pisces or a Virgo, I notice a lot of, if you have a Pisces moon, sun or Venus, or just the Pisces ascendant or Virgo, I notice that this is a placement that looks to save or be saved or really likes the idea of a fairy tale. Like growing up, they really liked fairy tales. They really liked movies. They really liked this romanticized idea of what love should be that is not rooted at all in like Capricorn, which is Saturn. It's very different. Well, I've got that Pisces moon placement. So that's my emotional yeah. sort of dream side. Yeah. And I even think you have... Um, you have a Neptune making a, an aspect. It's making a soft aspect to your Venus and your sun. So it shouldn't be that bad. 
which is maybe also why you can snap out of it relatively quickly. I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> but you haven't been attracting that anymore, though. You haven't since the last one. You've gone on to a different dynamic now. That's true. Although I feel yeah. like I'm being tested. I'm also tw- twice ruled by Venus, aren't I? Yeah. Well, Venus is also a very romantic planet. It's just that I think the difference between Neptune and Venus is that with Venus, the idea of love is very clear. You just know what you want in love. You know what you expect. And you can be really giving. You can be really abundant and feminine in the way that you express love and you give love. You kind of that Empress Tarot card, you know? And that is kind of what Venus is. She's that beautiful woman inside out that is quite abundant, that loves art, that is always in love with love, that always wanted to marry, always wanted to settle down with somebody. That's just that energy. And it's a beautiful energy. It's a very feminine energy. It's just that when it mixes with Neptune, it kind of goes to the next level. It can be unhealthy if you don't have a solid grasp on yourself, especially on your mind. How does Saturn affect relationships? So if somebody has a strong Saturn in their chart, generally what they look for in a relationship is for somebody committed, solid, who knows what they want. And often it translates even into somebody who's older, just because of what Saturn represents. He represents time and the father. So also people who tend to have this tendency to look for their father (laughs) in a relationship. I mean, we, we all do that to some degree, consciously or otherwise. I know, but people have a strong Saturn. People have a strong Saturn do it more. I can say that because I have that. So I kind of like recognize it. They look for that in their relationship. And also generally how these relationships go though, is that they won't work unless you're 28 and over until you've gone through your own Saturn return. So if you have a strong Saturn in your chart, if you have a Venus in Capricorn, or if you're from the generation that has Saturn and Libra, or if you are like a Capricorn moon or have a Saturn aspect on your Venus or your moon, then generally it's not recommended that you even settle down with anybody until the age of 28 after you Saturn return and that you make it a point to work on your self-esteem, work on your own um, sense of self-worth and that you figure out what you want in a relationship, that you set proper boundaries. Because what Saturn looks like in a relationship is just that there is a theme of boundaries, but also there's also a theme of coldness. If one of the parties just isn't very genuine about what they want and need, they can remain in a relationship for a long time, even when there's, it's not emotionally fulfilling, and even when there's a coldness in the relationship. A positive expression of a Saturn relationship is that you're both really committed and that you're willing to work through the obstacles, that you're willing to work together through any kind of difficulties that life throws at you. It's a very realistic relationship. It's not trying to project any fantasy onto the other. As a matter of fact, it can be brutally honest in that you see every flaw in the other. And so it's also a kind of relationship where you both improve, that you work on yourselves and become better people generally. So it's kind of that um, diamond in the rough and you keep polishing it up, polishing it up until it's just as beautiful shining diamond which is also really good is that you go for something that doesn't fit you that well and that if you're very romantic and you idealize things it can be beneficial to be with somebody who's really grounded really serious really ambitious and just wants to marry once and with for life and that's it and wants that kind of institution it can be good because you can loosen them up but you yourself can then also come back to reality and live out your dream while being awake, like working for it and really building it. 
But the reason why it's best to wait until the age of 28 or 30, if you have a prominent Saturn, is so that you can learn to love yourself before you even go into a relationship. Is that why so many relationships fall apart during um, yeah. Saturn return? Yeah, because you tend to just go with what society expects from you before your Saturn return, if you have a prominent Saturn, because you have that kind of boundary between your heart and your mind. And that boundary in itself um, is not serving you. It's not serving you in the long term and it's not serving you in relationships. And so by the time that Saturn comes in, it's kind of bringing attention to this boundary. Whether you make the choice yourself or the choice is made for you, you're definitely going to be tested during that time. Could you give some examples of the ways in which it will test you rather than you making that decision yourself, if that makes sense? Yeah, if um, if it's a Saturn relationship, as in like you prominent in Saturn in your chart, during a Saturn return, if it's with the wrong person, it's just not authentic to you. The person will leave. There will be a coldness. The person will just kind of go. It will be very, it will be abrupt. You can't miss it. Yeah, you can't miss it. It's not like Neptune. It's kind of like just washy, washy, washy. Yeah. You go back and forth and it's addictive. No, it's not romantic at all. It feels very harsh. Like um, guillotine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly yeah. like that. That's what I experienced. I was like, whew. That was full on. <laughs> but I have I have a lot of friends, you know, that have just gone through similar things and relationships just that they thought on a level were fantastic, just vanished before their eyes. The person just vanished, literally. Yeah. yeah. And I think it can be quite unsettling for the individual to experience it's very hard and also if and it's oh gosh there's so much to unpack here because if you have a, a prominent saturn chart then you probably also have this strain on your mind you're very hard on yourself anyway generally by nature you're very dutiful and and bound to commitments but also and, and then you sacrifice your own needs for that which is not healthy and that in itself will take a toll on your mental health so let's say this is the life you've been living, then comes age 28, the divorce comes in or the person leaves. Um, it's, it is a really interesting time for relationships, for yeah. sure. Yeah, And it's and also an opportunity, I think, to really completely reprogram and reestablish what you want in a partnership. Yeah, because people, for example, will stay in a relationship where they've maybe orgasmed twice, you know? Up until they Saturn return, they will. And they'll just think this is sex. This is how it is. This is how it's meant to be. Um, this is, we've never really spoken about sex growing up or I haven't really been exposed to that or, or just a feminine aspect of it all. And that also feels like Saturn because it feels like the lower vibration of Saturn where we kind of repressing ourselves and putting this boundary on ourselves on our, on our own needs and our sexuality and also just what we need in a relationship. Let's unpack that for a second. So building up to one's Saturn return. And it is also just a thing within society that I have been talking about quite a lot and that you have as well, that this theme of women not really taking much ownership over their own sexual desires and wants and needs and not even bringing them into their relationship or asking for it. And it's just something that I guess, you know, because sex is so sold and taught through the male gaze which is silly as well because it's quite straightforward for a man <laughs> whereas for a woman you need a manual <laughs> you need skills and it's very it's very psychological it's very about well I can't speak for all women but about 
safety and all this sort of stuff. Whereas men, it's essentially like they're trying not to rather than trying to most of the time. Yeah, exactly. No, but it's true. That's how they're wired. So they shouldn't have a say that much in like how a woman should experience pleasure, really. So how does one change that conversation, especially if this is an opportunity during this transit to start having those conversations in a relationship or, you know, newly out of one, whatever it might be? Because it's it's an it's a complex thing to unpack because it's so within our psyche that that unconditioned that that's how we should behave and that's what we should accept really it goes back again to who you are so if you're an astrologist i would just look at somebody's chart and see where all the planets are placed and see how they've contributed to hypersexuality or just none of it so how do you start a conversation is to look back at yourself and at your own wounds related to sexuality but also related to like you said safety because that is kind of related to the root chakra is how, how safe you feel, how um, grounded you feel, how expressive you feel. Uh, that is related to the sacral chakra, how creative you feel. And so just unpacking that for yourself, how safe you feel in a relationship, how safe you feel within your sexuality, how easily can you express your creativity, how easily can you express your sexuality. All of these things, all the unblocking of the what I mentioned is what's going to bring forward the conversation of sexuality in your own life. What we would need to do is focus more on sexuality in our own life, in our own experience. And if everybody did that, then this would not even be a conversation that we need to have because it would just be. It would be normalized. It would be completely normalized. And like this idea of society is also very, very patriarchal because that is also related to Saturn. And this is also, I guess, the conversation that you're, that one would bring around the Saturn return. But just this idea of society, the fact that we have to think about that and with something that is so intimate, that is related to ourselves, that is related to our own vulnerability, our own pleasure. The fact that we even need to voice that to society, it's taking the power away from the individual. Yeah, because it's, it's sort of paradoxical in the sense that, you know, sex is a lot more normalized in people having multiple partners and like sex as a conversation isn't necessarily taboo but in terms of actually communicating your wants and needs within that space is so it's this like real disconnect because people and women are having sex a lot more freely and for lack of better word in a more masculine way perhaps but I don't think they're necessarily getting pleasure out of it no I don't think people are having better sex I don't think so. no it's actually probably less connected and more based off you know pornography and everything like that so it's not actually it's not actually a practice that's healthy spiritually or emotionally yeah so that's why i emphasize this idea of maybe just taking it back to a first of all i think we could integrate it better into our education growing up making sexuality a bigger topic um, providing better better literature representing the, the feminine more maybe in education normalizing that that would be great but i think that's generally we should once we are of age, which is exactly what happens um, around your Saturn return, explore that for yourself and bring that to the front and really unpack that for yourself. What does sexuality mean to you? What do you like in sex? What don't you like? What uh, gender do you identify as? What was your first sexual experience like? 
it's that's why like I think it's maybe difficult to bring it into society because we experience it also differently and there's so much history yeah so I think self-work that's the thing with Saturn is that it's bringing you the opportunity to work on yourself and really nobody's involved in that except for you which is why having this relationship before you start to return, if by nature you cross Saturnian, is maybe not the healthiest thing because you haven't spent that time with yourself. And sexuality being the very first one we should be an authority on. We should know exactly what we want sexually, what we like. You know, like just unpacking it completely because it's, like I said, it's different for everybody. Some people have no issues. They have been having orgasms since forever. They have a very healthy relationship with their body. They love themselves and their issues are different. They're just career-based, for example. A lot of people do. And it's been, you know, my experience that I've spoken to a lot of girlfriends and stuff. And I realized this, the variety of experiences, but yet the lack of conversation and openness and honesty around it. And that's why I feel, you know, it's also to go against slightly my upbringing, which was, you know, through school, it was like men's sexuality was talked about a lot women's wasn't and like self-pleasure and things like that were just not even not on the menu like it wasn't it just wasn't ever talked about and in my family like never talked about sex I don't think I told my like mum when I lost my virginity or anything like that it just was all very hush hush and I'd say I'm a very sexual person but I definitely carried like quite a lot of shame around that and it's only been now that I'm like okay I really want to step into that space and show that it doesn't have to be vulgar it doesn't have to mean that you're having like multiple partners or anything and it doesn't have to be you know through or for male fulfillment it's actually about your you know you having self-love and really being able to occupy that space independently And also enjoy the creation you've been created and enjoy your incarnation. You, in a spiritual sense, you create, you chose your life, the family you were going to be born into, but also the body that you were going to be born into. And that body is yours until death do you part. And I feel like you should enjoy it and express it and do whatever you want with it. But even I've got to admit, I think I would find it potentially quite hard to communicate with a partner, not for my own lack of ability, but in fear of upsetting them. Yeah. See, that's a, see, this is also something that's been ingrained in you then. And I think a lot of women relate to that. It's like, well, I'll just go by unsatisfied because heaven forbid I upset the male ego. <laughs> what I've seen, and even astrologically, what works really well, I think, with people who identify as, as male, is just a direct approach. And I think that's where... Couples who sext tend to um, have healthy ideas of what the other one wants, have a realistic idea of what the other one wants because they've expressed it already in a text. And I think that that's maybe a good way to um, express it for to to each other. Is maybe it's a direct way to do it. There's no nudity. There's no sending news or anything. But there is the idea, and you're planting that seed into their minds. And if they don't know what you're talking about, so they still have time to go and Google it. You know. They can <laughs> but yeah, as advice, I would say just go on. Don't worry too much about wanting to express too much to society, but explore it more towards yourself. What can you express for yourself? How can you be more creative with yourself? Because sexuality is very closely linked in astrology with the, your creativity. So maybe another way to unlock that 
writing is, is creative, journaling is creative, but another way to unlock that would just to explore any kind of uh, art you used to like or admire growing up as a child and going into that, doing that as a hobby, exploring that with the intention of obviously um, rediscovering yourself sexually. Because the most important thing with anything, as you know, is just the intention. So the action doesn't matter as much. We're just using that as a medium to get to the answer. Yeah. I think it's also one of those things you just got to look at. It's like a five minute, slightly, potentially a little bit uncomfortable conversation versus years of dissatisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> weigh exactly. it up, my friends, weigh it up. <laughs> yeah, but this is, it's, it's really true. And it also like, also what I've noticed I'll tell you about my own experience before my Saturn return. As you know, I was um, in a long-term relationship and that broke right as Saturn passed my ascendant, right as it was starting to return, obviously 28, like clockwork. I didn't express as much what I liked actually, because first of all, I didn't always know what I liked because I had read things in Cosmo and I was like, surely this, this, isn't, this is what people should like, you know? This is what I meant with bringing it into society without exploring it yourself. And then also... I didn't want to bring it up because like I said, I didn't want to hurt his ego, not make him feel like he was less than or he wasn't performing well. I'm sure he was doing his best, but it was just not doing it for me. And I waited too long to sell him. I waited two years. That's the thing. If you wait too long, then it gets harder. No, but it's, it wasn't hard for me. I was so good at this stage. I had gone through rough transit again and I was, I was good. I had Pluto going on my Venus. But for him, it was horrible. He took it very badly because he said, you've been lying to me for two years. And I thought, oh no, have I? I have. I thought I was protecting you. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing. I think a lot of guys actually want to be told, but we don't because we're, we don't want to be rude or we don't want to upset them. And they don't want to be rude by like asking us. So they're just trying to figure it out. And then like two years go by and you're like, I probably should have said this in the first, <laughs> the first couple of months. And then you go into this conversation and they're like, okay, fine. And now this is a thing. And then they're thinking, well, what else is she not telling me? What else has she been lying about? <laughs> yeah. And that was a big theme for me. That was a huge one. Big problem. <laughs> uh, I think so many people can relate to that. Ladies listening, nip it in the bud. Say it early. Within the first six months, even if, if you really want to be that tardy, just give it two seasons. Give it a winter and a spring and then just tell them, you know. <laughs> I love that. What I wanted to ask you about, because we obviously throughout the season covered a lot of ground within the feminine and working with, you know, the feminine spirit cycle, all these things. But what I wanted to delve into, because it's something that we've discussed and touched on and a few other people that I've spoken to have brought it up as well, is the sort of more destructive side. And you told me about the goddess, Car is it Kali or Kali? Yeah, I think it's either. I don't, it depends on your accent. I'll go with Kali. Kali. Okay. If somebody knows better, then they can correct us, I guess. But goddess Kali is the goddess of destruction i'll tell you who she is she's actually time she represents time and the void that is time and the reason why this connects so well with saturn return obviously is because saturn is connected to boundaries and time as well but what he represents is a limit on time you're born and you die you know like that's what he represents the boundaries that we have to the material world what kali represents is eternal time so she transcends it all 
she's the time before Saturn and she's the time after Saturn. Which is why people who want to, if they want to find a remedy for Saturn, like Saturn that is giving them a lot of oppression or a lot of mental health issues or anything like that, it's, it's just very hard. Their lives is hard and full of obstacles. They'll worship the goddess Kali because of how she represents eternity and she represents eternal time and she represents the ability to destroy your own demons and to kind of conquer them. You know, so it's a very intense energy. And that is also the female as she is in her, in her rawest form. She can teach us a lot about facing our own demons, but also then taking action into destroying them or into conquering them or into knowing them, finding them. I want to ask about that on a, on a personal level. And I think that's why it's, this has been coming up for me recently is that, you know, through my Saturn return, I had a lot of lessons, let's just say that much, because I had not been disciplined at all. And I definitely have, you know, like we all do, my demons. And I have, I always will have this slight thing of like self-sabotaging that it was a massive thing for me to have to overcome. And by no means have I entirely, like I'm still very human in that sense. And I'm always like, you know, like we all are one step away from making the wrong decision, basically. But that can be a humanizing thing to just be reminded of, like, we always have a choice. You know, I think within society and like within the world I grew up in, wanting to be nice and like a, a bit of a people pleaser and making people feel comfortable and making people feel happy. And then I realized that there was a part of me perhaps that I never ever held space for and I completely neglected, which was like a, a harsher part of me. And that part used to come out whenever I drink. So I would drink to allow that part of me to come. And my friends would say there would be like a switch goes in your eyes. And it's like I'm fully animated and I'm fully walking and talking, but I am not me. I, and they used to call it Katrina, but recently I'm like, maybe I should rename that person Carly <laughs> because it's like, it's just does that part of me. And it's obviously is a part of me that just doesn't care so much that is slightly destructive. So I'm now like, okay, how can I embody those aspects of myself without it being fueled by those substances and with it actually just being in a healthier way? And that's why I find the subject of her really fascinating because I feel like she represents something that we all have in ourselves that we are told to suppress and to neglect. She represents the, the, the raw female, the rebellious female. She represents the female that will actually stand up on Shiva, which is the masculine, um, after she's conquered the demons and she has their skulls uh, around her neck and she has her tongue out, which is full of blood because she's just drunk demon blood. But that blood is actually the tongue out. The patriarchal side will tell you she put her tongue out because she was embarrassed that she was standing on her male counterpart. Really? Actually, yeah, they'll say that because obviously. But another part, another way to interpret it would be she put her tongue out because she's rejecting all of that wasn't pure. So like the blood of the demon and, and like the, the, the false, the, the false um, need for violence and all of that. She's the feminine in her purest form and she's rejecting all that has been impure. 
I think that's a way to really channel Kali is to not be sitting and meditating. And like that's one part of the feminine. Kali's energy is a lot more active. Even though she's time and so she's eternal and she doesn't need to do anything, she just is. We need to accept that that part of it of us just is, but also that in order for us to create something new, to create something that will serve us and that will really be in service of our feminine, but every part of our feminine, we need to be able to face what needs to be destroyed. So we need to be able to face whatever has pushed us towards escapism or whatever has pushed us towards behavior that we don't really want to embody anymore. In terms of her conquering her demons, how would you say we conquer our own? Identifying them. What you could do is unearthing, first of all, the hardest times in your life, going through that, and then going through the times that you have not been proud of yourself. You know that you could have done better. So unearthing those two and seeing where the connection is and then identifying then what demons were behind all of that, what that was rooted in and going towards that, dissecting it, destroying it. But it takes time. And that's what Kali is too. It's time. It's having patience with yourself. You can be in action all the time, but understand that it's going to take moments in, in time. It's going, to, it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a few actions. You have to be patient with yourself. You can't be in a rush. That's a very masculine energy to be like in this rush, want to destroy them now, 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 now. No, you have to still be feminine in the way that you know that it's going to take a few seasons. Mm. And also, I think, to not judge ourselves if we don't, like, slay them all the first time, you know? Yeah. Because that's like what I said with the cycles. Like it's not going to be the first time when you go through a very hard time where you've had to face some demons and now you're good, you're back in the lights, you're creating something new in your life. Understand that just because you haven't slayed all the other demons or some are still dormant, so they're not really playing a prominent role in your life, you probably will have to go through a new cycle of death and then rebirth in your lifetime. But by running away from it, because I feel like some people, when they've gone through a hard time, they'll do everything to avoid it again. But it will catch up with you. If you don't assertively, like Holly, assertively do something about it, time will always catch up with you. So don't avoid it. Even if it's your goals, she's also telling you to conquer your goals, to see what you want, who you truly are, what you want to become, and to take away the obstacles in between you and said goal. So she also helps you doing that. People will worship her to achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on and speaking. Well, the whole way throughout the season. I really like this goddess Kali energy. Thank you for having me, Kagi. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode with me and Nora. And if you would like a reading from her, you can find her at Stars Incline on Instagram. Now, just before I leave you all, I wanted to remind you that tickets are now on sale for the first Saturn Returns with Kagi live show that's going to be taking place on the 9th of February 2021 at the Clapham Grand in London. Tickets are now on sale at DICE. Now, we are recording this a few days in advance, so hopefully there'll be some tickets left. And they are going fast. And it's going to be a socially distant show, so it's going to be perfectly safe. And yeah, I can't wait for you guys to join me. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Scarlett O'Malley and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. And remember, you are not alone. Until next time. <laughs>